This episode of The Writer Files is brought to you by the inspiring team at Author Accelerator. There's never been a better time to get serious about that book idea that's been rattling around in your head. And working with an Author Accelerator book coach is the best way to write forward. Author Accelerator book coaches give writers feedback, deadlines, and step-by-step guidance while you write so that you can actually finish your book. Your book coach will give you the customized tools and blueprints to success that are so often lacking in the traditional publishing world. And if you think book coaching sounds like a gig you'd like to do, many authors and copywriters have the exact skill sets needed to become great book coaches themselves. Author Accelerator offers intensive book coach training and master classes so that you can help other writers reach their goals. Just head over to authoraccelerator.com slash writerfiles for more info and to get a free seven-day writing challenge to start mapping out your own book. That's authoraccelerator.com slash writerfiles. But I think the real meat of the book is about the situation in Nazi Germany at that point in history. Um, even some of the work that was done behind the scenes by people like Avery Brundage, the head of the American Olympic Committee, to influence public opinion in the United States uh, to prevent a boycott of those Olympics. Um, the yeah. anti-Semitism in Germany and the racism in the United States that in a lot of ways were very similar at that time. And so, you know, basketball really is a hook to get people into a story about a lot more uh, than sports. Greetings and welcome back to The Writer Files. I am your host, Kelton Reed. And this week, the award-winning New York Times bestselling narrative nonfiction author, Andrew Marinus, stopped by to chat about what it was like to grow up around so many famous journalists why he chooses to weave social issues into sports history and some age-old wisdom on how to beat writer's block. Andrew's the son of Pulitzer Prize-winning Washington Post journalist and author David Marinus, so it's no surprise that he has writing in his blood and a touch of imposter syndrome. His winding path to bestseller started out as a history writing assignment at Vanderbilt University that only years later became his award-winning book, Strong Inside, Harry Wallace and the Collision of Race and Sports in the South. His lauded basketball biography went on to become a bestseller and received the 2015 Lillian Smith Book Award for Civil Rights and the RFK Book Award Special Recognition Prize for Social Justice, the first sports-related book to ever receive either honor. The author's latest, Games of Deception, the true story of the first U.S. Olympic basketball team at the 1936 Olympics in Hitler's Germany, is a young adult title that chronicles the remarkable true story the birth of Olympic basketball. The book's been called an insightful, gripping account of basketball and bias. An investigative journalist and number one best-selling author, Bob Woodward, called it shocking and triumphant. Andrew's a visiting author at Vanderbilt University Athletics and a contributor to ESPN's TheUndefeated.com. He's appeared on NPR's All Things Considered, NBC's Meet the Press, MSNBC's Morning Joe, ESPN's Keith Olbermann Show, ESPN Radio, and many others. In part one of this file, Andrew and I discussed his circuitous path to a full-time writing career, the untold story of the origins of the first U.S. Olympic basketball team and the young men who played on it, why they were overshadowed by the atmosphere surrounding the Berlin Olympic Games in Nazi Germany, and the importance of this story and so many stories like it in today's political climate. Now do me a huge favor if you want to support the show. 
please pop over to survey.libson.com slash writerfiles and fill out that short seven question survey. It's like the easiest multiple choice you'll ever do so that we can learn a little bit more about you, our audience. That's survey.libson, spelled L-I-B-S-Y-N, dot com slash writerfiles, survey.libson.com slash writerfiles. It's very simple and it helps a lot. And that link is also in the show notes. So thank you ahead of time. Stay tuned. The Writer Files is brought to you by my friends at copyblogger.com. Words that work. Build your online authority with powerfully effective content marketing. Get superior content marketing education so you can build a remarkable online presence. Authors, bloggers, journalists, online publishers, and entrepreneurs, head over to copyblogger.com to learn more. That's copyblogger.com. And if you're a fan of The Writer Files, please click subscribe to automatically see new interviews as soon as they're published and leave us a rating or a review over on Apple Podcasts to help other writers find us. And we are back on The Writer Files. I am very pleased to introduce Andrew Marinus joining us today, our esteemed guest. Thanks for hopping on here, Andrew. Uh, you were telling me a, a story about this uh, ice cream cone on your on your uh, <laughs> Skype uh, photo. Yeah, it goes quite well with esteemed <laughs> guests. Um, <laughs> yeah, I guess that shows how seriously I take my Skype profile. Um, yeah, so my picture, I'm posing next to an ice cream cone mascot at a <laughs> Culver's outside of Chicago. <laughs> the reason I took it is because I thought that I look a lot like that ice cream cone mascot. <laughs> I see. Because it's got this giant like vanilla head and I'm bald. So, you know, (laughs) yeah, sure. Sure. I met my long lost brother at the Culver's outside of Chicago. (laughs) Very funny. Um, well, thanks for taking time to do this today. I want to dig into your process and, and, uh, pick your brains about all things, right. All things writing and this fantastic new book of yours. But, um, yeah, let's, um, get kind of dig in a little bit into your, kind of superhero origin story. Um, you're a New York Times bestselling author. You've won a bunch of awards and um, you've got this uh, really interesting history. So let's talk a little bit about kind of, I don't know, when when you decided, okay, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be um, a serious writer. I'm going to make a career of this and kind of where you, where you found that spark. Because I understand you kind of come from a, a, uh, a family of writers. Yeah. Uh, so my um, grandfather, Elliot, was a longtime newspaper man, sort of classic old school newspaper editor uh, in Madison, Wisconsin. Um, my father has been a journalist and an author my whole consciousness. You know, uh, he's been at The Washington Post for 40 plus years. Um, I grew up in D.C. People that would come over to our house were all reporters at The Post or editors, um, people like John Feinstein, who's a now a new uh, best-selling author of sports books, Bob Woodward, and these were um, like just friends of my family. Um, so I grew up reading the Post, which was you know a great paper to read growing up. When I was thirteen, I started my own little sports magazine that lasted for one issue. <laughs> you know, and, um, <laughs> yeah, I, I wrote about my favorite uh, teams, which were the Brewers and the Packers. I'm originally from Wisconsin, and when I was in high school, I was sports editor of our high school paper down in Austin, Texas. We had moved down there. And I attended Vanderbilt University on a sports writing scholarship. So through my college years, I thought that's what I would be when I graduated was a 
sports writer. Every summer I would intern at the Austin American Statesman newspaper, go back to Austin and do that. But then I graduated from school and couldn't find a job, <laughs> you know, yeah. like a lot of kids, I guess. And my first job was in the athletic department at Vanderbilt. And I was became I sort of switched over to the to the dark side, to the PR side of things. <laughs> and I became a publicist for the men's basketball team here for five years. Then I did the same thing with the Tampa Bay Rays for a year. Thought that baseball was my dream job, but it really wasn't in reality. So I moved back to Nashville and I started working at a public relations firm and I was there for 18 years. And uh, it was during that time that I sort of missed the writing or I was still doing a lot of writing, but it really wasn't what I wanted to write. You know, it wasn't a creative outlet. It was on behalf of clients and whatever they wanted to say. And so I decided at that point that I wanted to try to write a book. And I figured if my father who can't change a light bulb but can write books <laughs> if he can do it <laughs> then maybe i could do it you know um yeah. and so i returned to a paper that i had written in college i took a black history course at vanderbilt and wrote a paper about perry wallace who was the first african-american basketball player in the southeastern conference he played at vanderbilt in the late 60s he grew up in a segregated nashville in the 50s and 60s um, he was a brilliant man. He became a law professor at American University, went to Columbia University Law School. And he was the Jackie Robinson of college sports in the South and no one had ever heard of him before. And so I set out to write his biography and I had really, I guess I had not been paying attention in my own house to how long it took my dad to write books. I thought it might take <laughs> like a year or two. It took me eight years to write this book huh. on Perry, yeah. but it was a, I, it was a labor of love and when that process was over, I decided this is really what I want to do. Um, but I, I couldn't continue to do it uh, working sort of a high-pressure corporate type of job. And so I had to um, talk to my wife about the fact that I wanted to give up a sort of stable career and and, and pursue a life as an author. Uh, and thankfully, um, she was supportive of that as long as we had health insurance. So yeah. um, I work at uh, Vanderbilt University now in the athletic department. Uh, they've created a really unusual but special to me position of visiting author within the athletic department. And so I work here enough hours to have benefits, but have time to work on books or travel to schools. I ended up adapting my book on Perry Wallace into a young reader's edition for middle school kids. And this new book that I have coming out, uh, Games of Deception, is written straight for young adults, uh, so middle school and high school. And, you know, I try to write in a way that adults will enjoy it just as much, too. It's just a little bit shorter. That's a long-winded answer, I guess, to your question, but it was a almost a gradual. It's kind of always been in with, within me, but then it took until my I got into my 40s to really sort of pursue this uh, as a career. Yeah, yeah. It's a cool, it's, it's an inspiring story. And um an interesting path to the seller. And then that book you mentioned, Strong Inside, Perry Wallace and the Collision of Race and Sports in the South, won you uh, quite a bit of acclaim and some some nice awards also, right? Yeah, um, which was a surprise to everybody. <laughs> um, coming from a first-time author publishing with the university press, you know, that doesn't typically do sort of mass appeal books, but... Um, you know, I tried to write it in a way it wasn't just a story about basketball or an, an athlete's exploits on the court, but really about the place and the times in which he operated, um, you know, civil rights movement, a segregated Nashville, as I mentioned. And so, yes, the book won the Lillian Smith Book Award, uh, which is a civil rights book award. 
in the RFK Book Awards uh, Special Recognition Prize. And it was the first sports-related book ever to win either of those honors. So I was really proud of that. And I was fortunate that Perry Wallace was living as I was writing the book. And he's such a brilliant person that if all I did was listen to him and convey his thoughts in the book, it would be a good book. Yeah. Uh, so I was smart, smart enough to stay out of the way. <laughs> yeah. Um, and people appreciated um, Perry's insights into race in this country. Sure. Uh, it must have been pretty, pretty special for you to be able to spend time with him. And then I got a chance to listen to your NPR, All Things Considered. Oh, great. With him. And, and uh, that must have been really kind of a, a treat for you to do. Oh, gosh, it sure was. I mean, just like anybody else, listen to that show all the time and then to actually be interviewed for it and to hear it on the radio in my car. You know, hey, yeah. wait, this is a story about my book. You know, that was a really special experience. And I'll tell you, as an author, it was incredibly important um, in terms of just selling the book. I, like any first time author, I would check. Not that I recommend people buy their books off Amazon. You should buy from an independent bookstore. But I would check the Amazon rank sales rankings on my um, book and it <laughs> shot up after that interview uh, on NPR. So um, uh, firsthand experience with how many people listen to those shows. Yeah, yeah. Um, well, I want to talk about the new one. Yeah, let's let's dig into All right. this book that's just come out. The title is Games of Deception, the True Story of the First U.S. Olympic Basketball Team at the 1936 Olympics in Hitler's Germany. And it is a truly compelling story. And, and um, you know, the way I hear you talk about it a little bit is just that it was like a story that hadn't really been told, which is amazing to me. Yes. I mean, I'll consider myself a pretty big uh, sports fan and basketball fan. And I had no idea that this is where basketball debuted in the Olympics, was in the famous 36 Olympics, which has been written about in so many great books like Boys in the Boat and Unbroken and uh, Jeremy Schaaf's book Triumph about uh, Jesse Owens, yeah. um, movies and documentaries made about these Olympics. But basketball was not a big deal at those Olympics. Uh, and really, there's been only one book written about this first Olympic basketball team, and it was self-published. So most people have not heard of this. <laughs> and I thought, you know, and, and what my goal is now is to write nonfiction sports history books with a social message to them and the opportunity to write about sort of the origin story of this wildly popular sport at such a controversial Olympics was right up my alley. Yeah, for sure. And, and I, I mean, it's a, a compelling story. Um, it's very well written. I do believe that it uh, would appeal to both adults and young readers alike. Okay, good. Yeah. I'm glad to hear you say that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's, it's great. And, and honestly, I'm getting into it and I'm just like, Yes, this is an incredible story. So uh, kudos on that. But also, um, yeah, I mean, you got some really nice blurbs, of course. Mm -hmm. Bob Woodward called it shocking and triumphant. Uh, for those of you who don't know who Bob Woodward is, well, you could Google him, but um, he's, <laughs> he's written like 19 um, incredible um, political reporting books and, of course, uh, is best known for Watergate. Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, and it's, so we're talking about this incredible story that's just like, how, how, yeah, I mean, the not only the origins of basketball, which I'm also a big basketball fan myself, and did not know that initially there was no dribbling in basketball. And so <laughs> right, I started reading right. and what I was like, game. wait a second, there were nine players, uh, it was only passing. <laughs> yeah. And uh, My son still thinks there's no dribbling in basketball. He, he's on a <laughs> kindergarten basketball team. He went... 
straight to the hole the other day. It was a beautiful move, but he did not dribble all the way down the lane. <laughs> <laughs> I have been there, and I know there's not, not a lot of... Um, yeah, this probably goes right back to the Naismith, uh, 1891 Springfield, Massachusetts feeling every time you go to kindergarten basketball game. Um, but yeah, so so you get into the origins of that, but not only, as you mentioned, the, the origins of basketball, but also this really weird time in history. And then, uh, you know, how, how the, how Nate Smith's debut of his invention at the Olympics was eclipsed, right? I mean, <laughs> well, in every sense. In every sense, yes. Right. So I guess purely from a – we start with the sports sense, but um, uh, basketball is such a minor sport that the tournament was played outside on clay tennis courts right. uh, that the Germans promised would be an ideal um, situation. Of course, there was a – driving rainstorm that started the day before the Jeez. gold medal basketball game. And yeah. so the gold medal game was a, a farce. The players couldn't even dribble. The ball would just get stuck in the mud. USB Canada 19 to 8, uh, spoiler alert, to win the gold medal <laughs> um, in 36. And that was played at the exact same time as the gold medal um, crew competition that was made famous in the book Boys in the Boat. And everybody was paying attention to the rowing. That's where Hitler was. That's what the international radio broadcast covered uh, meanwhile you had james naismith the inventor of basketball sitting out in the rain watching uh, this first gold medal game that nobody else paid attention to but i think the real meat of the book is about the situation in nazi germany at that point in history uh, even some of the work that was done behind the scenes by people like avery brundage the head of the american olympic committee to influence public opinion in the united states uh, to prevent a boycott of those Olympics, um, the yeah. anti-Semitism in Germany and the racism in the United States that in a lot of ways were very similar at that time. And so, you know, basketball really is a hook to get people into a story about a lot more uh, than sports. Yeah, absolutely. Um, there's some really, really powerful messages in here and um, congratulations and, and I'm sure it will do well. But the book uh, comes out November 5th and uh, of course we'll drop a link in there. I'll drop a link to andrewmarinus.com and um yeah they can find out more about that book of course it'll be everywhere fine books are sold but yeah i you know there were a couple a couple of really funny little bits <laughs> that i got out of there i thought one of the one of the more interesting things that you point out was that the notion of hitler presiding over these games um was kind of absurd right because he was a terrible athlete oh, yeah, he was a terrible <laughs> athlete himself <laughs> And I uh, was afraid to ride horses and to go swimming. And apparently he um, purposely never really put himself in any situations that were remotely athletic because he, he knew that he was uh, a terrible athlete and he didn't want that image out there. Like so yeah. many things, that regime was a lot about uh, the, its portrayal yeah. and the, the image. And that's even why the book is called Games of Deception, because... Berlin, really, I write, was a, a, a facade, like a movie set yeah. um, built for those Olympics to try to fool international visitors into um, thinking that everything was fine there. You know, and really, it was um, all a fraud meant to distract from the terrible things that were already taking place there. Yeah, yeah. So many interesting things about this book. You know, and of course, Jesse Owens had record-setting uh, performances in Berlin, and that kind of eclipsed him what was happening. But as you pointed out, 
you know, that was a, a success because it served as a kind of the ultimate rejection of the idea of white supremacy, right? Yeah. So the whole Jesse Owens question to me is really interesting to look at from a number of different angles. So there was this um, pretty massive boycott movement in the United States leading up to the Olympics. There was a Gallup poll that showed uh, 40-something percent of Americans favored a boycott a couple of years before the Olympics, which is a sizable percentage considering a boycott had never been considered before. And yet you had athletes like Jesse Owens um, and a Jewish athlete on the basketball team that that wanted to go. And they felt like the best thing they could do to refute Hitler's uh, theories was to go to Berlin, perform well, win a gold medal. And yet I write in the book that even though both Jesse Owens and Sam Balter did that, I mean, what can you really claim that that, that did? I mean, there were still yeah. six million Jews killed in the Holocaust. You still had World War II. Jesse Owens comes back to the United States and is honored. And yet in segregated uh, situations where he has to take service elevators up to a banquet in his honor, you know, and can't find a job um, anywhere and has to race against horses at minor league baseball stadiums just to make a buck. Sam Balter loses his job at the Universal Pictures studio for taking so much time off of work to compete in the Olympics. <laughs> right. So, yeah, in some ways, uh, this is a triumphant moment, but in some ways, it, it didn't really add up to much. Thanks so much for joining us for this half of the Rider Files. And if you enjoy the podcast, please subscribe to the show and leave us a rating or a review to help other writers find us. You can always leave us a comment or a question and visit the entire archives at writerfiles.fm, where we also humbly ask you to support the show with a secure donation to help us keep going. Just click the little yellow PayPal donate button over at writerfiles.fm. And you can always chat with me on Twitter at Kelton Reed. Cheers. Talk to you next week. And thank you.